You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone of willy or clone of pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone of willy or clone of pussy kit right now, head over to cloneawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I'm coming at you with a titillating reminder that pre-sales for the world's first disability-driven sex toy, the Bump and Joystick, are open right now. You can go to www.getbumpin.com. That's www.getbumpin.com. And you can pre-order your very own Bump and Joystick right now. Or you can get a gift card for that deliciously disabled person in your life right now. Do it now. Go get it and be part of this amazing new innovation in sex tech. Thanks, friends. Hey, Andrew. How are you? Hey, Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super, really, really down. Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. What well, you and I talk all the time, we talk every day, and you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been to mm-hmm. therapists before, and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right? Yeah, I hear you have like a whole podcast about it. Right? I mean, yeah. I talk about it all the time, everywhere. And I'm just yeah. worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist, like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff, you know? Yeah, that's fair. You shouldn't have to, like, fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process. And I think that's really hard because, honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it. You get it. You're my best, you, like, you're my best friend. You get it. What do you think I should do? I mean, I think you should find a disability-informed support person to help you work through this if anyone listening to this is interested i'm actually offering disability informed support for 40 dollars per session 
whoa, whoa, $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over a hundred bucks, but we can still talk about disability stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live it's so fun isn't it it's like so great yes and i i know you also do you also offer support for non-disabled people too right yeah i do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because really i mean everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life and well that's a different experience than living with chronic disability i think it's all very related and if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me awesome well i i can't i can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing i'm so excited that there's finally disability centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about and thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled. I couldn't say that right. Let's try again. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started, shall we? First things first, I gotta give a shout out to the wonderful people that keep the bright light shining on this program through the Patreon, and when they sign up to the Patreon at patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, they get the show one day early, completely ad-free, with a little extra fun on-air shout out from me, your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. So let me tell you who the Patreon peep is this week. Our Patreon peep this week is Laura Feltham, who pledges $5 a month to keep the bright light shining on the show. Thank you so much, Laura, for your pledge. And your weird, awkward, sexy shout-out for me is... 
Laura, you made me fell something, fell something for you. I tried to make a pun out of your name, and I failed. Laura, you made me fell something for you. It was not good, not a good pun, but Laura, thank you so much for your pledge. You get the show one day early, completely ad-free. Thank you, thank you. If you want to support the show with a pledge, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark or leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I would really appreciate the review as well because it helps people know about the show. Just before we get to our guest today, and our guest is a really good one today, a really good friend of mine, and I'm so excited for our guest today, I want to just let you know, give you some some tea about the show. I have episodes that I recorded last year that I'm still working on putting out. I just want to remind you that I'm a one-person show, and sometimes also I will have to consistently reschedule our recording dates. Some of you have been dealing with the brunt of this recently, as I've had to move things over due to disability-related stuff that I couldn't really avoid. So sometimes if you book with me to, to do a show via the link on the website or on the show notes here, if you book with me, it may take me some time to actually do the recording, and then on top of that, it will take me some more time to produce the show. But... I do my best to to do things in a timely fashion that just might take some time, and uh, I appreciate that you've all stuck around, and you understand that running this show with a disability is a whole lot of work, so I appreciate your patience and your understanding if I have to cancel recordings or move things around. I have a lot of shame around that when I have to do that kind of stuff. I hate canceling appointments and moving things around like that, but I wanted to be really honest that sometimes they have to, and sometimes it's unavoidable, and I, I hope that you, as the listener, and the people who want to come on the show, understand why it is that way. And so, thank you for letting me have a minute to explain all of that, because I've been feeling so much shame around it lately. This last week I had to cancel my whole week of recordings because disability and depression happened. So, I really appreciate your uh, willingness and your patience with me and I always want you on the show and I always want you as a guest and we will always figure it out. We just might have to reschedule a thousand times and that's okay. But I just wanted to make that clear and let you know that I appreciate you. Thank you. Enough of my emotions. Let's get to the show today, shall we? Let's do it. On the show today, I sit down with someone who I consider to be the next generation of a disabled icon. If you're disabled and you're on the internet and you're on social media, you know who this person is. He's really, really cool. He's really, really popular. I sit down with my friend Spencer West. Spencer is a motivational speaker and a disability content creator. We talk about so much here. We talk about queerness, disability, dating, ableism, clothes, so much stuff in this interview. We talk about it was just like sitting down with a really, really good friend who understood exactly what it was that I was experiencing as a disabled person. And I've admired Spencer from afar. And to do this interview with him, we recorded this last June. To do this with him and listening back, I was like, wow, I really admire this dude. He's really, really important in our community. And I love being able to sit down with him and talk everything from 80s and 90s, things we used to listen to, 
how Teddy Ruxpin's a homosexual uh, to, to like the joy of wearing queer clothing that's accessible for us. Uh, he talks about how he, you know, got to wear a jockstrap for the first time and what that was like for him as a queer disabled person. And we just had a really good chat and I really enjoyed sitting down with him and, and, and having a, a chat about queerness and disability together with somebody who truly understands what that experience is like. And I'm really excited for you to see another side of the content creator that is Spencer West. Right now on Disability After Dark. Spencer West, hello. Hi. Hi, it's so nice to finally talk to you. We've been orbiting each other now for, I want to say a couple years. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to like sit down and, and like, I feel like we've chatted as, as, as friends, but we've never like really had a long conversation just about everything, you know? Yeah, we've never just been like, hey, how are you? Tell me your <laughs> life. Right. And, you right. know, I remember... Back in the day, you, you, you know, you've done some, people know who you are a little bit from the famous Canadian things you've done <laughs> as like a famed Canadian person doing so. So Canadians out there will know who Spencer is or will at least recognize the name. Um, but for those of, for those who are listening, who are like, who is this dude? Can you uh, introduce yourself? For sure. So my name is Spencer West. Uh, I'm 40 years old. I am a gay disabled man. Uh, my pronouns are he and him. And just a quick backstory on my disability, just because I realized that, you know, this is a podcast. Um, so <laughs> I don't have any legs. <laughs> so I was born with legs, but I was born with a genetic disease that affected the muscles in my legs, uh, which basically caused them not to work. I wasn't able to use them. So I had two surgeries. The first was at the age of two where they removed uh, or they amputated my legs at the knee. And I was going to try prosthetics to be able to, to walk around because I did have a little bit of muscle use left, but yeah. it wasn't enough. So um, after that, after two years old, they're like, no, this isn't going to work. So then around five years old, my legs were amputated just below my pelvis, uh, like six months before I went to kindergarten. Um, and so now I navigate the world. I use a, a wheelchair, a manual wheelchair. And then when I'm at home and every now and then I'll also navigate the world on my hands, depending on the situation. So um, that's sort of who I am. I'm a, I'm a motivational speaker. That's like my, my full-time job, but I'm also a content creator and an author. Um, and I'm originally from the United States, but I live in Toronto, Canada now. Nice. What part of the States are you originally from? Uh, I grew up in the state of Wyoming. Ding, 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 ding. Um, and Ooh, cowboy. I, that's right that's what well, I wasn't but there there's still a lot there for sure I mean you could put a cowboy hat on it's fine I'm down with that that's a thing right <laughs> oh yeah I've, I've I've worn worn one before uh I don't I, w I don't think I would do that every day <laughs> I mean we'll see we'll see uh, uh but so so okay so do you so do you do you have a disability that is congenital or was it all acquired through needing amputation or was, did the disability come from like birth? And then they were like, Oh, the, the, the legs don't look super good. We have to amputate. Yeah. So, so the disease that I had was called sacralogenesis, which affected my sacrum, which if folks don't know, it's that little 
part between your spine and like your, 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 your pelvis basically. And so mine didn't form correctly and there's varying degrees of the disease. Um, and there is no rhyme or reason. It's just how my parents genes mixed, uh, you know, when I was conceived and even to this day, I mean, there's only like, I don't know what the numbers I haven't looked recently, but you know, when I wrote my book, there was only like a hundred thousand cases in the entire world. And there wasn't enough to really have too much info on like how it happens. Um, and so it, again, it comes in varying degrees. Now for me, um, the, the sort of privilege that came along with, with my version of it is that it just affected my, my legs and, and my bladder. Um, and, and that was it. Everything else um, functions as if I was non-disabled when it comes to my body. Uh, but it was my legs that, that didn't work. And, and when I was born, they sort of looked, they looked odd. They sort of looked like, it sort of looked like it was like a little frog. <laughs> it's the best way I can describe it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Tom, oh, uh, kind of, do you remember being two and five and having to go through like the process of needing your legs to be dated? Was that at all something that you remember? Yeah. It's so funny. It was actually just like exploring this in therapy yesterday. Um, yeah. So what was interesting is, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old. And so I was born in 1981. And at that time in the United States, and I, I assume elsewhere as well, you know, your parents weren't allowed to stay the night with you. Um, so I, you know, I had these two life alterating, alter, alterating. Yeah. That's the word surgeries, <laughs> life altering. That's I was going to say, I was like, alterating is not a word, but I'm not going to say anything. Cause no, 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 I'm no, please <laughs> say it. That was false. life altering. I like, I took my car and I had the oil change today. So I'm pretending like I know car things, but that's an alternator. Anyway, I'm really <laughs> digressing here to get back on track to have these life altering surgeries. Um, you know, every night my parents would have to leave, um, once visiting hours were over and then they couldn't come back until visiting hours, um, resumed in the morning. Yeah. And so that's what I remember the most about it is like how terrifying that is. And so I definitely have a fear of like, because of that, you know, people, leaving or having a fear of like people not liking me or, or being alone um which oh stems wow from are we that. best friends like <laughs> hi hi i also have I fear. like hello yeah <laughs> like yeah can we get a can we get a group on discount on your therapy sessions because i feel <laughs> like we could tell the same story right yeah. So that's what I remember the most. I did, you know, the only other thing that I remember is uh, I remember the first surgery and like being outside of the operating room and then uh, getting the anesthesia and then having to count down from 10. And then that's the last thing I remember. The, the other thing that I do remember is for comfort, you know, my, my, I, I've come from an Italian family and my mom's Italian. My dad's a whole mix of things, but we just claim the Italian side because it feels more dominant. Um, and my grandparents, you know, they, they brought like gifts. So I had this stuffed elephant that, that one of my grandmothers bought me that I had until I was like in fifth grade. Cause it just brought oh, me so much comfort. I yeah. know. And then it was also, and I'm obviously dating myself, but for anybody that grew up in the eighties and nineties, gem and the holograms was like one of my favorite yeah. cartoons of all time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so my mom bought me like the gem Barbie doll and you could like push the button on the back and the earrings would glow and then you could like pull her hair down and she would turn uh -huh. into the gem. So it was, those are the things that I also remember. And I got like a Teddy rock spin. So on the <coughs> capitalistic side of things, I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. That also, Teddy Ruxpin was my jam in the eighties. Okay. Right? I, 
I first of all, Teddy Ruxpin was a huge mo. I don't know if anybody <laughs> knows this, but he was definitely gay. <laughs> Just in case you're all wondering, go back and watch that shit and tell me Teddy Ruxpin wasn't a huge <laughs> homosexual. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and look now. <laughs> I mean, and your mom must have known you were queer because, like, gem <laughs> holograms. Come on, come on. I mean, you know, it's so funny. We 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 joke and we can get into that. Yeah, because I actually didn't come out until I was 21, but. My, my mom and I was joke looking back. We're like, how could we not have known? Like my mom in our house, we grew up listening to Cher, Bette Midler and Barbra Streisand. I was into Barbies. I love playing dress up. Like oh, <laughs> it couldn't such, have been a bigger red flag. Yeah. You're such one of us. Like, but also so did I, I love dressing up. I loved like playtime. I was all about fantasy worlds. I was all about like fairies and unicorn. I was, and my mom was like, I never knew. And I was like, really? Pretty sure my young self was dropping hints when I was like five. What is <laughs> I know. That's but, sort of that's the same story that, that I have. <laughs> I mean, we're pretty much again, group on discounts at therapy. Can we like let's figure it out? <laughs> that's right. Someone help us. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit more about how your disabilities impact your day-to-day. Like, how does disability play a role in just your everyday life? Yeah, I mean, I think like many folks, you know, uh, navigating the city and going to specific places, this was pre-pandemic and now that things are kind of opening up here in Ontario, things are looking different, but it's like, you know, tackling stairs. Part of the part of the privilege of my disability is that I can get out of my wheelchair and I have the strength to like drag my chair up a couple stairs, but anything more than that, I'm definitely going to need support. You know, some of the other barriers that I face are you know, not accessing washrooms. And I always get the question like, but you can walk on your hands. And I'm always like, yeah, but would you want to walk on your bare hands and then touch your dick afterwards? I don't think so. So so those are some of the barriers. And then just like some day-to-day things in my house, like literally right now, Andrew, I've got this, like these lights in my kitchen and two of the light bulbs are burnt out. (laughs) I can't reach them. So I've only got two light bulbs in my kitchen. Oh no. Yeah. So I guess like, so, so like when you have stuff like that, that comes up, do you, I mean, let's back up because I want to talk about the bathroom thing because I think sure. discussions of pee and disability yeah. are so yeah. fascinating because for every disabled person, it's a little bit different. Sure. Um, so, okay, given that you walk on your hands for a lot of stuff, mm. I'm going to just put it out there because I don't know. How, yeah. how, how would you pee then? How does that work? How would that work for you? Yeah, so I mean, for me, you know, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that my disease also affected was my bladder. So I can't fully empty my, empty my bladder myself. So I use a catheter. Um, and that's how sort of I, I, I go to the bathroom. So for me, it's like being yeah. in my wheelchair is ideal, right? Because then I don't have to touch the ground or any of those other things. So then I just sit in my chair and pee from there. <laughs> that's what I you see. mean logistically. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about like the logistics of like, because I've seen you walk on your hands. And when mm-hmm. you said I pee for a minute, I was like, how does he hold his body body up? And then, and I was like, I know that's not realistic. Like it doesn't make any sense, but my brain was like, how does he do it? Like what? Yeah, no, logistically that would be, it would be a challenge for sure. <laughs> so for you in terms of like washroom access, mm-hmm. what kind of things, like what do you need to make that accessible for you? Yeah, for me, I need running water to be able to wash my hands and uh, you know, get all the bacteria off my hands. I need a stall large enough that will fit my wheelchair. Um, and then obviously access to soap and those sorts of things. Uh, so that's sort of what I need is, is to be able to get into the bathroom, number one, 
than to have clean water and some sort of soap to get rid of the bacteria uh, before and after. So that's sort of what I need personally. And, you know, as somebody who walks on their hands and uses like does that if they need to, do you want like because we don't think about the cleanliness of our ground ever. We don't think. Mm-hmm. But for you, having to be down there a lot to like, you know, transfer and do, do things you have to do, that's is that something you have to think about more often than the average person? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming so. Uh, You know, there's two things that I need to think about. It's like, what am I going to be doing that day? And I'm going to have to pee at some point. So I'll oftentimes bring flip-flops with me that I'll, they have like a little compartment under my wheelchair so I can put my hands in flip-flops so that I'm not touching the bare ground all of the time. Yeah. And then the other thing I always need to think about is my clothes. Like if it's raining or if it's winter outside, uh, it sounds a bit superficial, but if I'm going to get out of my wheelchair, they're going to get wet. They're going to get ruined. They're going to get muddy. So I, I have to think ahead of, okay, what's the weather going to be like? And what outfit do I need to wear that if it gets ruined, I'll be okay with that. Um, so like, those are, those are the things when I'm getting out of my wheelchair that I, that I have to think about. Plus like temperature on the ground and all of those yeah. things as well. So as somebody who's, <laughs> as somebody who's a W, a double, yeah, double MVT, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so that's my, so be, I, you know, we, we don't, we talk a lot about accessible clothing for disabled people. We don't, you know, I was, I just thought I was like, I wonder how he, how he manages his pants. Like, so <laughs> my naive question is like, do you think about pants? Like what kind of pants are comfy for you? Do you worry about that? Is it a, is it a consideration at all for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, so I wear, I wear shorts all year round. Go ahead and film nice. it. I want you to feel jealous. Nice. And, um, and I, I prefer like the the shorts that have like the elastic waist. That's what I've been loving like recently, you know, in the last few years that like elastic waist pants are like in fashion because I'm like, thank God, it's like my favorite pants to wear. Yeah. Just because my, my body's a bit strange because my pelvis sort of tucks up in front of me. And so then my like stomach sort of like hangs over my body. So I need pants that will stretch out a little bit. Um, so what I normally do is I'll go, I can like, I wear a size five in in the boys section, but I have to buy like regular pants and then I have them tailored to shorts. Um, And and then that's how I do it. So I live for like summer because that's when I don't have to have the shorts tailored. I can just buy them straight from the store. But like any other time of the year, I've got to take them in to to have them done. It's the same with underwear. Like I, I like have to buy underwear in the little kids section and not to get too graphic, I don't have some like large penis here, but like <laughs> these, my underwear are for a waist of a five-year-old and the other parts of a five-year-old. And I have the waist of a five-year-old and the parts of a 40-year-old. Oh, so yeah, yeah. So underwear becomes a bit challenged. Although I did during the pandemic buy my first jock strap. Yes. I know. And I found someone who was really kind uh, through a friend that was willing to tailor it. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested gonna require in exploring some photos. I'm going to need <laughs> you to say, I'm going to need you to send me those on a private message. I'm going to, I'm going to need, I'm going to need some proof, but so, okay. So, but here for sure. But so here's the thing. Um, that was the first time where I was able to access underwear that made me feel sexy. And I'll never forget wow. the person that was, that was helping to, alter them was like everyone deserves to feel sexy and, and alluring and I want to help provide this for you and it was it was just so kind so that's it that's like another 
inaccessible thing that maybe we don't always think about is having those types of opportunities. Yeah, having like lingerie or like or mm-hmm. like dirty, you know, in, in queer male communities, we mm-hmm. all know what the jockstrap stands for. Like yeah. we all know what the point of a jockstrap is. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna be your dirty fucking bottom now. Here's me <laughs> like like and it's really hard for us to do that because I'm sitting, you're sitting, like we don't get to have that those ass moments with ourselves and be like, mm-hmm. yeah, my ass is great. Here it is like on mm-hmm. display for you. So like, mm-hmm. I would agree that like, I've never worn one because I would, I sit on my ass. So I'd never ever get to see it. But like, I can totally agree with you that the first time I put on a harness, I felt yeah. the same way. I was like, wow, this is me being like being sexualized in a positive way. And it, like, I cried when I first put on a harness. because I was like, I've never done that before. This feels really Good. Did you feel similar when you had the jock the jock strap on? I did, and and it's a, it's a very similar experience, and it's so funny. I feel really grateful. You know, I have a really supportive friend group, both friends that identify as queer, friends that identify as heterosexual, and a lot of them are heterosexual men who are like, we want to see, take photos and send them. Like I have a really supportive friend group that was like really excited that this was an experience that I got to uh, like be a part of, you know, it happened during the pandemic. So no one's really gotten to take advantage of it yet, but <laughs> mom, don't listen. But um, like that's, that, that, that for me was really exciting. And, and it was really nice to have a community of people that wanted to celebrate and, and wanted, wanted to understand that, that experience or understood that that experience was so important to me and the joy and excitement that it brought to me. Yeah, like I can totally empathize with you as to why that's so important. Like we don't get chances to be slutty. We don't get chances to like play with that side of ourselves. And, you know, being that we're both motivational speakers, we're expected to also, you know, to to show up in a certain way to give one to two hour lectures on, sec- on for me, sex and disability or, you know, mm-hmm. disability, do it very profound. And we leave and that's the only way that people know us and so to be able to like explore that other side of ourselves I think is really important too yeah or even I just think and and you've talked about this a ton on the podcast and as well as through social media is like even being seen as a disabled person as sexy you know it's I had a friend we were talking about dating a, a while ago and you know he was talking about he was all these offers that he was having he's he's straight but he was like yeah but it's like you know what that's like and I was like I actually don't like, it's like, I, I've never had, I've never really had anyone say, wow, you're so hot or someone come up to me out of nowhere. And I'm not saying this to look for sympathy by any means, but it's just like, that's not an experience that I have on a daily basis. So then to have the opportunity to then at least feel sexy for myself and then maybe share that with someone else is like, you know, is a big deal. Yeah. And I mean, it's still, I'm almost 40. I'm, I'm 37. It feels, it still feels foreign to me. The idea that like somebody might want to go on a date with me feels like are you what why no like it, you know and I talk about it all the time but it still feels like yeah like when your friend said to you like oh you know what that's like right I was like what well, no no like no because we have to expend most of our energy just ensuring that the people around us are comfortable with the fact that we're disabled period let alone like oh I might want to fuck you eventually are you okay with that like <laughs> that's a whole other can of worms um, so yeah. like, let, let's, let's kind of move into the, your experience in the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. How do you like, 
I know for me it's a trash fire, and I <laughs> I have tried for years to love it, but the more and more I like immerse myself, I kind of just hate it. And so I'm reaching that old man status of like, oh, I'll watch it from over here, but I don't want to be really a part of it. Uh, so like, how do you how do you feel as part of that community? Yeah, I agree. It definitely it definitely feels like a dumpster fire, and I sort of ebb and flow in and out of it. Like, okay, I want to be in community, and then I and then. And then I, you know, every now and then you'll have a positive experience and you're like, okay, this is, this is okay. And then, you know, you go to church street, which for those that maybe aren't familiar is like our sort of gay neighborhood in Toronto. I would say 98% of the spaces on church street are inaccessible. I so, would say 105% of the copy that, copy that. <laughs> yeah. So I think trying to navigate having a disability is challenging itself but then you add on being in the queer community as well where you know specifically when we look at queer gay men you know there, there's a specific body type there's a specific way that you should present yourself and that that people are are find you at least from my perspective find you attractive and so when you don't fit into those things it's hard to figure out wh- where to go or, or or what to do and then when we get into like physically if you can't actually get into a bar and you know, I know, Andrew, your wheelchair is even bigger than my wheelchair. So I always think about you, that, you know, when I'm in spaces like that, because I'm like, my wheelchair feels big, but I know because you have a power chair, it's even bigger. So I can't imagine what it's like for you to navigate, let alone it's me. really hard. Like, I remember when I was in New York a couple of years ago, being nominated for the pod for something. And I went to this, this gay thing in Manhattan. And my mom and I went and we bumped into Frankie Grande there, which was really fucking weird. But he was there. <laughs> And I remember being the only power wheelchair user in this space and trying to get around the tiny little like club that they had, you know, they had there and they were saying, wow, it's so big. And I was saying, it's so tiny. Like I can't, it's so like part of, that's part of the reason why I don't even attempt to do clubs anymore. Cause I'm, first of all, I'm an old man. So like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not up with the children, but I also like, you know, I, I just feel like I don't fit there in in so many ways. And that's exhausting because like if someone could see me out at a bar, they might think, Hey, that guy in the wheelchair over there is really cute. I want to go say hi to him. I mean, probably not. The last time I went to a gay bar in Toronto, (laughs) these guys came over to me and said, Oh, do you want, it's so nice to see you out. Do you want us to dance with you? And I was like, not really. Like if you think I'm cute, we can dance, but because you're patronizing me right now, I don't want to dance with you. Uh, it's so frustrating that's that's I mean that's that's my experience as well you know it's like there if when I did go out you know we would usually like walk in commit to a location then I would have to stay in that location the whole time yeah my friends would have to go get us drinks and all the things and in some ways like oh this is nice but in other ways you're like yeah but I'd like to be able to like move around and see who else is here and just like check it out or even you know i i'm way too old now and my and like my body a little bit and like you know yeah or like even dance get on i used to love to dance get out of my hands but like even that is dangerous you know and and my friends would have to like form a circle around me so then no one can flirt with you number one number two on my hands i'm like two foot seven inches tall so someone's gonna have to like get on their knees to get down and dance with me so like i mean there's listen, all these like, listen <laughs> I'm sure there are many men in Toronto who would have no issue getting on their knees for you, myself included. Uh, <laughs> so, like, don't feel too bad about that. 
Like you should use that as a selling point. If you want to, if you want to dance with me, you have to get on your knees. Period. <laughs> yeah. They don't have to know it's a disability thing. <laughs> um, but oh, you, you should totally use it as like a as like a a selling point to pick up dudes. But no, I agree with you. Like the the way we've designed our our club life in many cities around the world is just mm. not it's not for us. And so you know, and I I always say like. And I'm sure I've said this a thousand times on the pod, but like, no, no, even if you can get in the space, if no one is looking at you or no one is choosing to be around you and you know how gay men can be with each other. And I like, it's such a catty environment where if mm-hmm. you're not already super established with the group of whoever's there, you're not, you're certainly not going to be included. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I feel like those spaces are, really inaccessible for me in terms of emotional accessibility and then physical accessibility. What has your experience been like, you know, like let's, let's move into the sexy times for just a minute. What's your experience of, of like sex been as somebody who, who uses a wheelchair and is an amputee? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's been a whole mix of things, you know, every now and then you find someone that is, that is interested in you for, everything emotional wise physical wise and it may not be necessarily a long-term relationship but every now and then you get lucky where there is someone who's interested in that but you know I feel like more often than not it's it's people like uh looking at you as a fetish or um as you as you mentioned earlier sort of more like a sympathy pity thing which feels weird yeah um and I I don't know about you but you can usually sort of figure that out right away so I, I i haven't been in the situation where they've already been at my house and then i'm like oh fuck like that's what this oh, is I've i can usually tell I've, oh have you i've been there it's been it's hard it's really hard like oh, you'll be in I'm the so middle sorry. of you'll be in the middle of a blowjob and they'll say some shit and you're just like oh, okay well yeah. now i don't want to finish and now this is weird and like why did you have to say that to me and like but i mean or sometimes they say that shit and you're like but you're really pretty all right come on home like, <laughs> But you're really you're really pretty though. Like you're you're fetishizing me, yes. But your dick's really nice. So all yeah. right, like uh, like I'll break my rules for you. Come on, like let's come on. And it's really hard because also like you want to give somebody the benefit of the doubt and you want them to learn. You want to give them the chance to like for me anyway. I want to give them the chance to learn about my disability and like mm-hmm. learn about you know what what to do and what not to do around me. But it's like yeah. I don't necessarily want to teach you if we're supposed to fuck right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I have very similar experience and I don't know if this is if you experience this, Andrew, but I, I think my dating life sort of looks like this. I'll find someone that is like really fun to hang out with, but they have no intention of being physical or it's the opposite. It's like, they just want physical peace, but, but no emotional. I know that's like a lot of people's experiences, but I think mine, mine stems from the, when it comes to, not being physical is because my disability people are either afraid they don't know they don't know how to ask they don't know they're afraid that they won't be turned on like i think there, there's like a million things that, that people probably which is ridiculous because you're adorable so like oh, what, i don't know like what they're you. i don't know even, i don't even understand what they're talking about you're hot shit so oh, they well, need to deal with it. but like <laughs> i <laughs> i agree like it's so hard because like and you know sometimes for me too like sometimes all i want is a physical piece just like mm-hmm. every totally. other, like queer dude and they're like oh i want to get to know you and it's like no 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 no. 
I want you to do what you would do for every other person. Like, mm-hmm. do the thing, get out. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> but you, I mean, usually I want like connection and I want, you know, togetherness. But on the off, on, there have been times where I've wanted to just fuck and they'll be like, no, no, yeah. I want to like hang out. And it's like, but no, but can we just do what you would normally do, please? Like, I don't need you to, don't stay because you want to like fulfill some need for yourself to be good, like to be a better person because you see like hung oh, around God. the disabled person. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what I, I, it's, it's like such an interesting dance, right? I feel, I find that as I get older, I, I'm, I'm able to be more direct and more clear about what I want. Um, but the, the thing that comes along with that is then there, there's potentially maybe, how do I say this? Not less opportunity, but being more direct, it it makes the, the options smaller, which I guess in hindsight is probably better at the end of the day. But I'm also curious, Andrew, I don't know if you just like switching it for just a second. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I often feel like, or I did feel like for a long time, like being, being gay and then being on like dating apps, I felt like I was having to come out twice. So it was like, you know, come out, we were all there because we were gay. But like then I I never disclosed my disability in the beginning because I didn't think that it mattered. I I don't know what kind of world I thought I was living in, but (laughs) Then I would disclose and people were like, what the fuck? No, I don't, I don't want to know. Why didn't you tell me this before? You know, people would block me or stop talking. Or, people or, would block you because you were like, yo, how, fucking people are the worst. I know. I know. I mean, I've since, you know. And I've, I've creeped you with- on the, I've creeped you on the sex apps. Like I've seen you there. We've said hello there. Like you're, it's, you have a really nice profile. It's cute. It's like super, I would totally want to hang out with this dude. <laughs> it's so sweet. Listen, I, I, well, you're seeing you know, 25 years of, of figuring out who I am. So now, now in my profile to sort of weed out the people that aren't interested, I let, I just say it up front. I'm like, I don't have a disability. I don't have any legs. And then I always make a joke of like, I don't like camping, but I can still pitch a tent because people always want to know, does your dick work? You know? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you've also sent me those photos. True. <laughs> I know the truth. Sorry, Spencer's mom. Don't listen. Uh <laughs> But like, but like, yeah, it's, are you tired of that shit? Like, don't you wish somebody would come with like a different question that isn't like, can your dick, does your dick work? Because I'm always like, well, what if, like, I have friends with paralysis whose dicks technically don't work. Mm-hmm. They still enjoy themselves. And I get so frustrated when it's like, well, if it didn't, would I be any less of a person? Like, I know, I know. And, and that's why I like put it up front in my profile now, you know, so people are aware that it's there. Um, we're still going to, at least I'm still going to get the question, I'm sure every now and then, but it, but it, it limits it a little bit, but it's like, you know, I feel like it's anything. It's like, God, I have to do all the work all the time, you know? So what is, what would your ideal date with somebody look like? And I'll just take notes as you tell me, uh, (laughs) God, you're so funny. Um, what would my ideal date be like? I think if we're talking like first date. I think it would just be like going to a place that is accessible that we can have a drink and just like get to know one another. I think like that would be the ideal date. And then depending on the chemistry and the feelings from there, it's like, then it goes from there. Then does the drink turn into dinner or does it turn into good night? And then another time, you know, I think it, it, it just depends. Actually, can I tell you like my favorite first date story? I don't have many. Yes, so. I'm ready. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm ready. Do it. Go. Okay, so it's, I'll try not to draw it up too long, but 
Oh no, I it's was... a podcast and it's long form. Talk all you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but once you get me started. Um, so I had met this person overseas. I used to, I had a job where I would host volunteer trips in East Africa. And, you know, we had a very strict policy about not dating any of the guests, which I would never do, but I'd gotten to know this guest and then the appropriate amount of time had passed. And this guest lived in New York and he was like, if you're ever in New York, like, give me a call. And so I happened to be in New York and I said, you know, I'd love to take you up on that if you're still interested. And he was like, yeah. So we like met at this like cute bar where we had like drinks and then we had, then we had dinner and we did the thing where we each ordered and then we shared and Aww. it wasn't quite Lady in the Tramp. We didn't do the, the pasta noodle. Was it more like Lady in the Gimp? I mean. <laughs> I just assumed I was the tramp, but. I mean that too. <laughs> <laughs> But then after dinner, he was like, do you want to go for a walk? And I was like, sure. So we like went through a, for a stroll in the neighborhood. And then we stopped at like in front of a brownstone. And like I got out of my chair and we sat on the like the stoop of a brownstone. And we were like chatting. And then I could tell like it was that moment where you're like, we, I think we're going to kiss. And then he like sort of chickened out. And then he was like, can I hug you? And I was like, oh, you're like, no, sure. I, I was ready to like make out. What's I what? Know. I know. Okay. So but then. So then we hug and then we keep chatting. And then I'm, I, I couldn't make this up if I tried. It started to rain. And, oh, no. and he was like, we should, we should, I know a club nearby we should go to. And I was like, wait, we can't, like, we can't leave without. And then I just leaned in and, and we kissed. And then, and then we like ran in the rain and we ran to like this club nearby that other than the washroom was accessible, which was pretty amazing. And there wasn't a ton of people there. And then we just sort of danced and then, he walked me back to my friend's house where I was staying. And then that was it. And, it was just, it never, it wasn't going to work out. You never saw him again. Uh, I never saw him, but we're, we like have chatted every now and then. And it just, you know, it was just too hard. Me being in Toronto and being in New York, but like I chalk it up to, it's my great first date story. <laughs> I have never had a great first date story. Most of my first dates have ended in me being like, well, that was really bad. Like that's <laughs> like, and, and, you know, sometimes it was me like, because I will say, Here's the thing about when people don't date us and don't want to date us and don't see us, when we get the chance to do it, we get eager, or at least I get really yeah. eager, really excited. And you know, like, I get excited really fast about, yeah. <laughs> about stuff because, but you know, that's because I don't get to do it very often. So when, when the chance comes along, I get excited and then I immediately get scared and I'm like, well, I have to secure this because it might disappear. So like for me, all of my dating experience has been me being way too clingy, way too fast. And I just want to put it out there for anybody listening who went on a first date with me and was like, it was tragic. <laughs> the reason that it was so bad was because I was so, so, because you didn't, you won't see us as a sexual being. So you don't let us like breathe in that moment. You let us, you, you force us to like, I need to do all of it right now because it might never happen again. One and literally, that's the same, the same feelings that I have, and the same experience that I have. This is Groupon again, number three. It's 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 literally that. It's like I'm so afraid that like it's gonna go away. That's like, well, we have to act on it right now. Like, and let's just do everything right now because I, I this, this experience might never come back again. Yeah, like let's have the drinks, then we'll have dinner, then let's go have sex. Like, like <laughs> that's right. But, Tomorrow we'll, let's get have, we'll figure it out. Yeah, let's have four <laughs> dates and what? Like, but I wish yeah. that people would give us the chance to breathe and so like. You know, able-bodied people say to us all the time, well, I'm afraid of dating a disabled person. It's like, well, guess what? We're afraid of you dating us because, like, emotionally, I'm 17 still, and I don't know how to do this because you've never given me the chance to try. 
Yeah. And then you couple that with just, you know, being queer in general and, you know, depending on when you came out, you know, I didn't come out until I was 21. So, you know, I, I, mostly we sort of joke that, yeah, that's like 13 in queer years, you know? And I mean, so pretty much, yeah, then you're constantly catching up with that as well. Um, and so between the, between that and your disability, it's like, <laughs> I, I, I keep waiting to catch up, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. I mean, and, 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 and that's something that I'm all, that I'm also really, that I talk about a lot on this show and I talk about a lot of my social media is like, you just said it, you know, I don't think it'll ever happen. That it's scary to think that we're like, that, you know, we're in our, we're ne- I'm nearing 40 and you're in your forties. And we have to say like, we don't know if that's going to happen. Like that's, that is not something the average person would ever have to think because we think, oh, it'll happen eventually. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I, I still have that like little glimmer of hope, like hope is, I wish that I could describe where it comes from, but I, I don't know. I just, there's always like a little bit of hope left, but it, yeah, as you know, once I turned 40, I was like, okay, like maybe I need to lean into this a little bit of like, maybe this is how it's going to be. But then there's always like a little piece of me that's like, but I, I just want to hold on just like a little bit longer because yeah. maybe it'll happen. Well, I mean, have you ever dated a disabled guy? I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to put it straight out there. Why not? I mean, I, 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 I haven't, you know, it's, it's, it's never, it, it's so interesting that it's never been an option before. Well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be bold here. When things are safe to move again, if you want to go for drinks, like. Of course, Andrew. Yeah. That'd be, it'd be fun. Cause I mean, I yeah, think, of course. I also think like there's a difference when two disabled people go on a date because they, there's a, there's like, there's a lived experience of understanding of like that. Cause most of the time when I've dated, when I've gone on like, one t- I want to call them dates more like one-time hookups with like dudes mm-hmm. that started in drinks and ended in bad sex that I wish I could relive mm-hmm. um you know most of that time is us reassuring them that our disabilities are not an issue mm-hmm. like it would be I I am so excited for the opportunity to go on a date with somebody where I don't have to spend an hour being like does my disability make you uncomfortable <laughs> does it make you feel weird do you like want to be here with me like like that's fucking exhausting for me. And I, like what, why I think that's exhausting for us as disabled people too, is that we don't get to show them our personality because we're spending that whole hour, like making sure they're all right with the fact mm-hmm. that we're a human being. Yeah. It, you know, it's so interesting because I, I think you are a bit further ahead than I am in that regard. Uh, Cause I'm assuming you like verbally say those things, right? Oh, I, I mean, I, I mean, I wish that I did. No, I know. In my head, oh, I do. No. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Because I was like, good for you. Like, I don't have the courage to no, say no, those no, things No, 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 no. Group on number four. I, I do not say them to the person. No, no, no. No, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then absolutely, it's, it's the same thing. Or, or I, I fall into the ableist learnings that I, you know, that were instilled in me as a kid, which were, you know, don't see yourself as disabled. And so then I try really hard Whoa. to... to to sh- I know, I know. So then I try really hard to exude that of like, cool, I don't have any legs, but like my disability isn't everything. And like, there's, you know, to get people to see everything. See, I'm leaning into more, my disability is everything. And yeah. I want to, I want to invite Same. you like into the ride with that. It is everything. My disability is everything about me a hundred percent. Partially because like I have to use my disability for work. I, it's my disabilities. Like I live it every day and like, but you know, so 
some advice from one queer gym to another. Like maybe, maybe like lean into that piece a little bit more instead of giving them the out and saying like, oh, don't worry, my disability isn't everything. Say like, it is everything. And I want to invite you into that with me. Totally. And so, so that's what I mean. It's, it's been in the last 10 years that I've done that, but it was, it was leading up to the last 10 years of, of unlearning all of the things that I had learned in the eighties, you know, people with disabilities were looked at differently then. And were at least where I grew up, they were taught different. It was like, you want to be seen as everyone else. You want to be able to fit in. Disability doesn't define you. And, you know, people are watching in real time, me, me unlearn and understand what disability justice looks like. And, and I so appreciate your advice. And that's what I've been trying to do for the last 10 years is, is like I said, own my disability, put it right in my profile. People know right away, this is who I am. Um, and then, and then almost getting to the point now where if you're not comfortable with that, then see you later. Yeah. Like I just don't have time for you. I literally do not have the time because that's right. That's right. Like, it is who I am. Yeah. Um, Tell me a little, let's, I want to shift gears a bit. I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about your motivational speaking because I do it too. And I know how mm-hmm. hard it is. And mm-hmm. I know like the grind of, of turning your disability into a job so you can like support yourself. What has that journey been like for you of being a motivational speaker? And how do you navigate being disabled and doing all that stuff? Yeah. You know what? For for a long time, I had a friend who would always say, you should be a motivational speaker. And I, I was always like, and talk about what? <laughs> like, like talking about my story felt uh, arrogant and, and boring. And I was like, I'm not just going to tell my story just to tell my story. That's what I felt at the time. Um, you know, and then I had the opportunity to, to travel to East Africa. And that's, that's the first time I really understood how important my disability was to me and how I could how I could properly use my disability as a way to bring light to things that I was passionate about, like the organization that I used to work for that did international development. So although I would tell a little bit of my story and talk about my disability, I would also talk about the things that I cared about and have people get involved and help fundraise for, for those sorts of things. So for me, it's been this interesting evolution. Again, people are watching in real time of me unlearning a lot of sort of super crip sort of things that I did and, and ways that I told my story that, that were not helpful that I just didn't know uh, based on how I was when I grew up and, and, and what I had learned. So for me now, it's like, as you mentioned, really leaning into it and owning it. And it was through a couple of years of speaking that I was even comfortable enough to say like, no, I am disabled and I'm proud of being disabled. And this is an amazing, gorgeous part of me that everyone needs to know and to, to celebrate. But the flip side, which I, I'm assuming maybe this is your experience and correct me if I'm wrong, but then sometimes you want to be able to turn that off just a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Completely. You want to just, you do want somebody to just see you as Andrew or as Spencer and just. Like, yeah. Who has a disability, but there's more things yeah, than that. And it's so nuanced when you start, like for me, my motivational speaking career, and I guess that's what I am weird. That's weird to say, but my like speaking <laughs> career started because I was like fuck I need money and I don't know how I'm gonna make money oh I guess I better like you start exploiting yourself because you're like well I got this disability that's that I better use it so like but there are moments when I do where I do that stuff and I'll, I'll say in talks where like you know I'm the sexiest queer disabled person like I I love being disabled and there are moments where I'm saying that out loud in a speech and I'm like I don't fucking believe this what a, like no but also 
you're paying me how much at the end? Sure, I'll say whatever I need to say to get that money. <laughs> like, so it can be really hard because we're forced to, like, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. We're forced to like build a brand around our disabilities because no one else will give us like just a day job. Part of me like wishes that I could just roll into like, you know, some crappy run of the mill, like middle line day job, get a paycheck every other Friday and go home. Like, Mm. and not have to worry about turning the Andrew Gerza experience into a brand <laughs> just to make a dollar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I, I know that's like too, and you're like, do I believe this? And I always think of like, you know, RuPaul said once in an interview, you know, when, when, when she says at the end of the, uh, of drag race, you know, um, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love somebody else? She was like, I say that for me to remind myself to do that. And it's just become the catchphrase on the show. But she's like, at the end of the day, I'm saying that to me, like, remember that. And then hopefully affecting the people that she's saying that to as well. And so I think sometimes it's it's in speeches doing that until you believe it, because sometimes it's yeah. hard. It's literally faking it until you make it. That's right. Um, I have been to so many places where I'm going to do a speech and it's not accessible. Do you have any stories of like you going to do a big talk and you're supposed to like they the, you're you're the keynote and you're supposed to do this and then you're like oh you didn't plan for the accessibility? I would say you know before the pandemic, seven out of ten keynotes were were never accessible and it was a what rare when seven out of would, ten? Yeah, and it would be a rare occasion where someone would would think about it and and ask beforehand. Um, because I think, you know, people see me on social media and they see me walking my hands so much. And, and so they've seen that I can climb stairs and, and I'm making an assumption here. I don't know this to be 100% true, you know, so I don't know if, if, if that plays into it, but at the end of the day, I'm like, well, regardless, every space should be accessible. So whether I actually need it or not, isn't, isn't the issue here. The yeah. issue is that it should be accessible to begin with. And this is something yeah. that you should always think about from the very beginning of every single event that you ever do. Um, yeah. And I, you know, even as I'm saying this out loud to you, part of me thinks, you know, maybe I need to be a bit more, because normally I'll accommodate, you know, like, it's no problem. Like, my friend can just carry my chair up the stairs, no worries. But in my, no, like, don't let, because what if your friend slips one day and then you fall and then, then I, like, who knows? No, know. the answer, like, next time, like, accommodate a little bit, obviously, because you want to work with them, of course, but like, sure also be like i need you to figure out a ramp thank you there's i'm sure there's a walmart in whatever town we're doing this talk in like even if it's in podunk idaho i'm sure they can find you a ramp somewhere or some kind of accommodation um do you find as you know because the pandemic is raging on and maybe lessening now please god uh but you know do you find that it is um do you're doing a lot more stuff on zoom do you find that zoom and those kind of things are more accessible now for you to keep talking? Yeah, you know what? I, yeah, I, it definitely, it took me a while to lean into the, the, the virtual space of, of delivering a keynote because, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is how you are, but for me, it's like, yeah, I, I like the laughter. Like, yeah. give me the laughter, give me the things. I know the things that will land. I know the things that will spark emotion. And so I, I like that feedback because that, that helps feed my energy. And, the one thing that is challenging about online is that you don't get that. So like, it's, it's literally just me laughing at my own jokes at my computer, hoping other yeah, people being like, ah, laughing. why are you not smiling person on the zoom? Like, Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. 
I know in half the time you can't even see the people that are on the Zoom. So it's definitely taken some time. But I will say that for me, it has also been nice to be at home and to not have to think about travel and to not. So I, I, I did enjoy that sort of grounding, so to speak, which I know is a privilege in itself that I had. That was a privilege that I got to stay home. I know lots of folks don't get the opportunity to leave their homes as often as, as I do. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's like, I really leaned into that, but I'm also excited to potentially travel again because I am starting to get a bit stir crazy. <laughs> yeah, me too. So listen, people, we both do speaking group on yeah. number five, fucking hire <laughs> us, please. Like, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't think I ever brought this up to you, but we should totally do one together. Yeah. Like, we should fucking, cause this podcast has taught me we basically have the same story minus, you know, an amputation here and there. What's a leg? What's what's a leg or two between friends, really? Um, but like, you know, we have a similar story, so mm. we should totally like. You get two gimps for the price of one. Like we should, we should totally make that a thing. That's right. And you know what's so interesting? It feels like, it feels like, disability justice is starting to have. Uh, a larger presence, um, at least in the virtual space. And so I think, I, I hope we're on the cusp of like the next evolution, you know, of, of what that looks like. So I, I think, it, yeah, I think it would be cool to have two disabled folks either do a keynote or run a workshop together or something of that nature. You know, I think it's, I think it's a really cool idea. We should totally like, I know there are people who organize shit that are listening to this show right now. Like we're, we're, Canadian famous so <laughs> I mean work with us people um, please <laughs> hire us we need money it's the pandemic it's hard <laughs> um I want to shift to your because you're kind of becoming a TikTok famous person and <laughs> I see you on TikTok or on your Instagram through TikTok um mm-hmm. why when did you decide to like make that shift was it something that you were you like actively like oh shit I need money so I'm gonna like jump on the talk or was it like I'm gonna I'm gonna try it out and see and see how it goes it genuinely was it was an accident um I had gotten TikTok like a year ago when the pandemic first was sort of it like last March and I was like I don't get this like I, I don't think this is a platform for me and then it was just this past January that um there was a challenge that was like tell me you're short without telling me that you're short and so I oh, just nice. like, I just thought it was funny. So like, I just like sat in front of the camera and then walked away. Um, and it, it blew up. Now, I, I, I don't want to be like super gross here, but, you know, I, I felt one of the things that was helpful is that, you know, when you're friends with someone that is, is a celebrity. So, you know, I'm friends with Demi Lovato. And so she thought that video was funny and she posted <laughs> on her Instagram story. You couldn't so see my I, face of like, what? <laughs> so much. <laughs> So listen, my name is Andrew Gerza. If you could just pass along my. <laughs> so that was helpful because I, I, I want to give credit where credit is due. I've built an incredible, what I think is, is a brand that's true to me, but you know, we all need a little help. And I didn't ask her to, it was all organic and she posted it and then it sort of blew up. And then I created another video to a specific sound on TikTok, And that one just like exploded exponentially. Um, and suddenly, you know, within a month, we went from, I went from 20 followers to I'm now at like 3 million um, wow. in the past six months. Yeah. And so it's been, 
it's been really cool and really terrifying and really exhausting and really draining and really amazing. And like literally all of the feelings in, in one. So it it literally was an accident. And then when we got there, we're like, shit, there's 3 million people that are interested. What the fuck are we going to say now? (laughs) So now it's like trying to, to figure that out. Um, as how do we use this now? How do we move forward? How do we have fun, but also do some good at the same time? Like, you know, I know for me, like the four things that I try to really focus on when I'm creating any content is, you know, is there heart humor, um, humility and, and awareness. And as long as some of those things are represented in each video, then, then we're doing all right. So, but it's exhausting. It's really hard to be creative every day, all the time. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, not on the TikTok, but I'm a, I'm a similar thing with this show and with like yeah. tweets and Instagram. Like it is, it takes it it takes a piece of you because also yeah. like the experiences we're having as disabled people, we then have to mine for content. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. this like what if I don't want to? But oh yeah, I need those followers to get that money to get that job because then like yeah. it's not even that I want the celebrity of whatever. It's that yeah. I need to use this to get myself a paycheck so I can feed myself next week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's and and then to to have to try to be creative and come up with with new content all of the time is yeah it's a challenge i'm i, I like the challenge uh, it's definitely not a complaint but it's it's one of the one of the the difficult things about being a content creator as as part of your revenue stream is that it's it's exhausting yeah completely um i also know that you know tiktok hasn't had the greatest track record with disabled creators uh, you know, pulling some of their stuff and not, you know, having really ableist hashtags come up around disability. As somebody who works directly in that space, how do you feel about all that stuff? And how, like, what would you say to the TikTok overlords about how to make it less ableist? I don't, I don't know if I have a, an answer to to how they make it less ableist. But I think for me, you know, I was, I was. I was really grateful that, you know, this last month, TikTok named me amongst like 12 other people, one of their like LGBTQ trailblazers of 2021, which was, which was really kind. And, and they put a bunch of money and effort into this gorgeous campaign. Um, and it was amazing. And there was like lots of queer representation to say, like it, everyone was there, which was, which was awesome. But, you know, now it's July and I'm like, we have all of this, like, support for pride and i know it's it's not it, it doesn't even happen in canada but united states it's you know it's 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 disability pride month and i'm like cool where's the oh sorry where's the where's where's the campaign for that where's our parade where's our yeah yeah, yeah. And, and there's a part of me that wants to be like kind and like okay i know people don't know and and this is not a slam to tiktok by any means you know what i mean i think it's no, just in general just generally the communities like don't know and yeah, where are the sponsors? Where's RBC? Where's TD? Where's yeah, you know? Well, call them out. Do it. Um, <laughs> like, but but no, I agree with you. I think like, you know, until people told me that it was disability pride, even I didn't know because it's not ever talked yeah. about. Yeah. So I agree with you. Like, I think we need more of that. And like, you want to hire us for stuff? Agencies hire us to talk about disability pride for an hour. Like, like yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I want to chat with you about. Uh, let me just see. So, like, how do how do you feel on that platform? Talking about like you've talked about going to the bathroom, you've talked mm. about your legs, you've mm-hmm. talked. I don't think you've talked a little any too much about sex, but 
because it's TikTok and who knows if they would say like no to that. But like, how do you how do you feel about putting yourself out there so much? Do you are you proud of that? Or is it like you said earlier that it's a bit terrifying to be a creator, but being a disabled creator then faces probably a little bit harder. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm I feel grateful that that it's this is all happening when when it is, because if this would have been 10, 15 years ago, I don't think I don't think I would be able to handle it um, as, as well as I do now, meaning, you know, I, people are constantly want to know how to go to the bathroom. You know, a lot of my pride, a lot of my pride content just got destroyed by like um, a lot of like homophobic. Uh, right wing. Yeah. 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 Sort of conservative. I, I'm making an assumption. I, I don't know that to be hundred percent true, but so so there, there's like that side, but I guess what, what I'm saying is I, I knew that when I was putting my life out there for public consumption, that I sign an invisible contract that like, that opens me up to things that I may not want to be opened to. And we can, you know, we can fight really hard and, and try to make it as, as safe as a space as possible, but it just never will be to the extent that, that I want. So it's, so in one hand, I'm like, I'm very aware of what I signed up for. Uh, on the other hand, it's it still feels shitty every now and then. But I also not to keep going back to RuPaul, but RuPaul said something once that was like, "What other people think of me is none of my business." Um, and so I I tried to like lean into that as as much as possible um, and not sort of fall down the the rabbit hole. But then on the flip side, it's like, but then we have the opportunity to educate folks and to be visible and to help break down the barriers of how to interact with folks with disabilities, how to teach your kids to interact with folks with disabilities. So it's this interesting back and forth and ebb and flow of a positive and, and challenging space. Does that answer yeah. your question? Yeah. I mean, I don't remember what the question is, but <laughs> okay. that, that sounds great. That sounds good. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to, I have one last super gay sure. question because yeah. I feel like, but, I feel like we're getting disabled. And so I have to ask you this. Yeah. Are you are you more top or bottom? It's <laughs> a great question. Um, I'm definitely. I would definitely say more of a a bottom for sure. I'm just. I'm just not the best top. I'm just not great at it. You know. Okay, is that like because of the physicality or because? I think it's both. I think it's both things. I think it's like physicality a little bit, and I think it's just. I don't know. Bottoming is better. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll just let me just make a note. Let me just write it down in my <laughs> in my phone. I'll just make a note beside your name. I am, I'm actually open to all the experiences, but I, I always like preface by saying, like, listen, I'm happy to give this a go, but like I can't guarantee it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> I mean, you're hot, you're nice. Why wouldn't it be amazing? Question mark. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> I can flirt with you on the air for another hour, but nobody wants to hear that. I'll flirt with you <laughs> off the air. Um <laughs> So Spencer West, thank you so much for coming on today and chatting with me. It was so nice to finally like sit and have a proper, a proper chat about things. Um, and let's go on a date or plan that like group on therapy session or do that that do that like workshop together. All those things we should make them happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we got a whole list of things that we got to tackle now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm there for that. Uh, so how do the people how do the people get a hold of you? How can they support you? How can they follow you? Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you to ask. Um, yeah, so all my social media is just Spencer, the number two, the West. So Spencer to the West. And then I do have a website, which is just Spencer to the West.com. 
Um, and that's how you can find me and book me and lean into the content and all the things. Cool. And if you could just pass my name over to Demi Lovato, that would be so <laughs> great. No, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. But Demi, if you're listening by chance, call me. <laughs> um, Spencer West, this is so fun. Thank you for coming on Disability After Dark. You're a gem. I love you to bits. And thank you. Likewise. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark. From me, your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can follow me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, at andrewgerza underscore, or you can follow my website, www.andrewgerza.com, to find out more about what I do. And, of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a minisode, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, Please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.